This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does it better. On this week's episodes, in the red corner, are people that live on a cul-de-sac weirder than regular folk? Our first movie this week answers that question with a resounding yes, as Tom Hanks and co. terrorise their new neighbours, the Klopeks, just because they're different, the bastards. From 1989, we're talking Joe Dante's The Burbs. All Tom Hanks wanted was a quiet vacation at home. This is what I need, Carol. I, I need this. Welcome to Mayfield Place, a typical street in the Burbs, where nothing much ever happened until the Klopeks moved in. Klopex? Klopex. Klopex. No one goes in, no one comes out. Neighbors from hell. While in the blue corner, how do you go about meeting your neighbors? Pop over with a bottle of wine, invite them to dinner, or permanently maim your child as a way of luring the helpful bloke across the street into a dastardly plan to send a violent message to the government? The answer is wine. From 1999, we're talking Arlington Road. I've got a possible name change. The death certificate, what, what does it say? He's changed his name. To the name of a person who died the day before? Yeah, why? You do it to hide the person you were. His name is Oliver Lane. I didn't know you taught a course in terrorism, Michael. That's a pretty frightening subject. It deals with extremist groups. Seems he got one everywhere. Are you listening Your to Your neighbor is a terrorist that has been blowing up buildings. There is a blueprint in his house he does not want me to see. So what connects these two films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. My wife is home. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. How are you both? Victoria, you well? Doing really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to rush now. It was just getting into the studio. Yeah. Sorry, I was in a rush. 
Victoria was a little bit late today uh, because there's, there's a big football match on, isn't there, Chris? There is, yes. A big, big football match. But that would have happened a week ago when people listened to this. I know, so. I know but, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, I will say that uh, Chris's sort of uh, tension about getting this episode started uh-huh. uh, because of the football uh, just involved me <laughs> walking down the corridor and feeling Chris's eyes on me going, where's he going now to go to the bathroom? And I undid my trousers on the corridor before I got into the toilet. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you couldn't wee because <laughs> no. the pressure got to you and it wouldn't come out. <laughs> no, because I was I had tunnel vision and I was halfway down the corner and I realised that my, my, uh, everything was out. <laughs> so wow. so that's that's how tense you've made me this morning, Chris. Yeah, and that's wasted two minutes, that story. <laughs> Could have been spent watching football. <laughs> right then. Uh, so uh, we'll crack straight into it. Victoria's choices this week. The Verbs versus Arlington Road. I am done up now for the record. Uh, <laughs> thought process was behind these pairings. I've loved these two films for, for most of my life. And then when we were in the pub once and I suddenly figured out that I could connect them, uh, I was beyond delighted. And then it was my turn to choose, finally. And so I did it. So here we are. <laughs> finally, finally. Finally. It goes, it, we take it in turns. Yes. No, finally. Whatever. <laughs> it just seems like long weeks sometimes. But I do love them a lot, a lot, a lot. And both of them. So I haven't written a verdict. So no pressure. And obviously it will be super quick, but you two need to convince me in the verdict section because I refuse to choose at this stage. Okay. Okay, a lot of pressure, but fine. I can deal with that. So the clue Chris gave, uh, no, Victoria, sorry, gave last week was... Fear thy neighbour. Fear thy neighbour. Mm. It's a great clue. How did you come up with that? Yeah. <laughs> how, how, did you, how did you come up with that? Yeah. We love it, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just a little... I don't know if you've ever heard, love thy neighbour. Mm. So it's just the inverse mm. of that. What's that then? What is, it, is it the tagline oh, of it one of the <laughs> films? <laughs> yeah, I'm holding up the Blu-ray of Arlington oh, Road. Yeah. yeah, of course yeah. you didn't. half mm. in it. You don't even love football like Chris. He's I'm, allowed to half-arse it. I'm livid. I was livid when I saw that. You just borrowed the tagline from Arlington Road. But unbeknownst to me. <laughs> it's really, true. Really? Honestly. Really? <laughs> really? Well, then you should get a job as a tagline writer. <laughs> uh, okay, so Chris followed it up on Twitter with... Oh, what did I follow it up with? Uh, you followed it up with Disturbia. Oh, yeah, that was you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gave you the clue. You put it on Twitter. Yes. Yeah, Disturbia. Uh, still no one got it. Uh, so we did a third clue this morning, which was simply... A boom. And finally, someone got it. Uh, just a few of the other wrong answers first uh, from some of our regulars. Uh, John uh, Wright said the Burbs versus Fright Night, which actually would have worked. I quite like that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Bailey and Peter White say the Burbs versus Bad Neighbours. Uh, I've never seen Lakeview Terrace, but uh, last week's winner, Lee Timms, goes with Arlington Road versus Lakeview Terrace. Mm-hmm. It yeah, works. Work. Okay. Uh, I'll crack on to the winner. Uh, congratulations to our first time winner. Uh, after the third clue, uh, welcome to the party. Dean Tipton. You got the right answer. The Burbs versus Arlington Road. Your prize awaits you in the boot of your car. <laughs> oh, that's dark. Ominous. Yeah. Dave, if you are, if you don't like surprises, it's just some human remains Chris had to get rid of. So uh, <laughs> waiting for you in there. Uh, the connection section. Well, as you know, the clue was boom, buildings blowing up. Mm. Yeah, you don't trust your neighbour, but your female partner does. Mm, don't open the boots. You might not like what you find. Mm-hmm. Tapping phones is in both of them. Yeah, it seems where our hero, or so-called hero, uh, talks his way into the villain's house. It is best, apparently, not to trust your neighbours. Yep. That's all i got. That's it. Yeah. Uh, Baden's messing with the American way of life. Uh, either the Clopex ruining the peaceful harmony of American suburbia, or Tim Robbins blowing the shit out of it. Wait, but you could say he's protecting the American way of life, actually, Alex. 
Oh, you could, Chris. Yep. You could, Chris. Um, you could, if you We've were... talked about this and we've decided, <laughs> we decided. It's best not to put it on air. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I'm very sorry about my introduction on Thursday. <laughs> Excellent. Well, on Thursday, Chris will be inviting you round for a disturbing barbecue. I suggest you decline. But today, I want to lounge around the heist house with you. I want to lounge around the heist with you. Uh, as per usual. That's because you're rushing, you see. It's him. <laughs> Don't look at him. <laughs> I'm hyperventilating. <laughs> I'm Dyson in Terminator 2. <laughs> You're right. talking like a clopeg. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let me take you on a journey. Ray Peterson is a man with a plan I respect. On his week off, he doesn't want to do anything. He wants to do nothing. Just hang around at home, watch the game and drink a shit ton of beers legend. Unfortunately, Ray is easily influenced by anyone who isn't his wife. Having turned her down for a trip to the lake, he is goaded by his motley crew of man-child neighbours into believing that the European family who've moved in next door are actually murderers. Well, quicker than you can say, don't start digging up their basement, you might hit a gas mask. Oh dear. Cue a weird ending that I seem to always forget, despite the fact I've seen this so many times, where it turns out the idiots were right all along. The German Klopeks are indeed serial killers led by a doctor who experiments on humans, which is kind of weird. But at least it leaves you with a comforting message that if you have weird neighbours, they probably are murderers. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, the suburbs. Uh, so you obviously V your choices history yeah. with the burbs I mean I've seen it a lot of times so I was thinking about why that would be because it came out in 1989 and I probably didn't see it around then because I would have been eight mm. but I think I started watching it and I don't know which would have come first around the same time as I was watching Eerie Indiana which as I mentioned I was really 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 into which is Joe Dante as well yeah so it sort of makes sense and also this film sounds like a ghost train at the start with the organ mm. and 11 12 year old me loved nothing more than a ghost train so that kind of makes sense. Isn't and also, it, where I lived, we hated our neighbours. So. Isn't it weird? Like Christmas, Christmas, I mean, I know you disagree with me because you fucking love Christmas, but Christmas starts to fade as you get older. Ghost trains, the first time you hit that age where you go on a ghost train, you're like, I cannot wait. Ghost trains are terrifying. And you sit in it and then you're like, the fuck is this? <laughs> it's Some just shit a bit dirty skeleton. Yeah. Like, Always smells of dust. <laughs> half ass in it. I only went on one ghost train. In your whole life? I yeah. scared the life out of him. And it was in Spain. And I mean, to say it was a ghost train, you'd just go around a circular track and you'd go into like a dark bit. Mm. <laughs> and a bloke dressed as a clown would tickle you with a feather duster. <laughs> yeah, that's been shut down. <laughs> And I remember thinking it was the best thing ever. Did you tell the police? And I look back now and I'm deeply concerned. Just really quick on Gostrians, did you go to the one at Alton Towers where you walk through the haunted house first and then they fucked up, they turned it into like Laser Quest, which I love Laser Quest, but that is a mistake. Don't blend the two. Laser Quest isn't scary in the same way. It was the best ghost train ever. We used to go to mm. Alton Towers on school trips and I, I just used to stand in the queue for the haunted house by myself for four hours, whereas everyone else like went on Nemesis and stuff. There's a really good uh, one at a theme park in Barcelona, another Spain connection, and um, you go in and it's actual actors playing these roles, a bit like what Alien War used to be mm. down at the Trocadero, and you'd go in and it's genuinely scary because even though, you know, they're an actor, there was um, uh, someone dressed as Chucky uh, from Child's Play who just runs at you with an axe. <laughs> and you, you, maybe I've watched too many horror movies, but I always think, what if... I'm the person where the actual actor has been replaced mm -hmm. with a killer 
and this is how they've chosen to enact stop, their crime. Stop yeah. saying that. Write it down. That's the next movie we're writing. <laughs> it's a very good idea. Or they just slip. I mean, they might not be a murderer. They might just overshoot mm. it one day. You've got to hope it's not a real axe <laughs> as well. Really do, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm method, so I'm going to need a real axe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris? Yeah, watched it when I was about 12 as well, probably, but that would have been 1990. Watched it on video. And I remember it scaring me quite a lot. And I haven't watched it since. Um, and I was weirded out watching it this week because. There's nothing scary in that film. No, such a strange such child. A yeah. It freaked me out. Why something are you about scared the, of the everything. Frightened me. <laughs> Honestly, so, I sometimes yeah. think of you as a little bubble boy, like wrapped in <laughs> cotton wool, like your parents trying to protect you. It's so strange. Yeah, I, I watched it in about 1990, and I genuinely think the first time I watched it, I declared it my favourite film yeah. ever. And watching it this time, I still love it. And I, I, I know you're not meant to do the, but Vicky's already said she loves both movies, so don't look at me like that, Chris. I, I do really love this movie. And as we discuss it, I don't know why. Like, it puzzles me how much yeah. I love this movie. It's very funny, I think, which it's helps. It's not. It is funny. It is. <laughs> it's no, not. one character in particular is very funny. One character yeah. is. Oh, I hope we agree. Yeah, so that'd be weird if we didn't. Yeah. But um, but yeah, watch. I've seen it sort of seven or eight times over the year, and it is. I know I go on about this a lot, but it's a duvet movie for yes, me. Yes, me too. It's one of those movies that I, I genuinely was watching it this time, and I didn't want it to end. Mm. I was on a hangover, and I just felt like this duvet of Mayfield Place. I think it's called the street, the little cul de that they live on. I was just wrapped in this sort of glow, and I was like, oh, this is the perfect movie for today. This movie. Right, let's talk about uh, a little bit about how it came to be because the burbs of all the movies we talked about had a very painless ride to the screen, um, which will also please Chris as this section is shorter than usual. <laughs> so it's written by a guy called Dana Olson, who would later go on to write the film George, George, George of the Jungle. Watch out for that tree. <laughs> he tapped into his own suburban middle class upbringing and those stories that truly every neighbourhood does have about the weird house on the street or the neighbours you think might be up to something strange behind their public facade. Do you, either of you, have neighbours like that on your street? Um, we're not including the woman up, door, up, to, up top, <laughs> the woman upstairs who you've previously declared is the C word. <laughs> I think we've driven her out now, so... She gone? I think she might have done, so that's a win for me. Wow. And the kids. Wow. Yeah, I think so. I Did you watch pages. the whole of the Fast and the Furious franchise on top of you? No, when we were growing up, there was. I mean, the thing is, this. I think the story is always sour. Like, I don't know if it's the town I grew up in, but it wasn't that they were up to something weird. It's always like that man's a pedo. You know what I mean? So we did have one of them on the street. He could have been a pedo. He probably wasn't. Mm. Um, yeah. So you, you know, you would knock a door, run, and mm. all that. I had one too. Uh, we had one on our street. Who people were like. He lives alone. Yeah. He always looks very greasy. Yeah. And he's probably a pedophile. <laughs> Therefore, those two things. A man who lives alone and doesn't have great personal hygiene, perfect, perfect, perfect pedophile. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> perfect. But then, then there was a story uh, that went around that he he was having a sexual relationship with the eighty-five-year-old woman who lived next door. So right. It was either extreme. He was either a paedophile or he loved an octogenarian and he was only about 25. Right. Mm. Okay. So, uh, yes is the answer. <laughs> I probably should have just gone with, yes, we had one too. <laughs> yeah. Chris? Yeah, I grew up next door to something creepy. Um, it was a man who lived with his very elderly mother and looked after her. And it, I, I would get psycho vibes from it when I was a kid. And there was just this sadness or this misery that seemed to come out of that house or when we knocked on the door if our ball had gone over, it, there was something creepy about it. And because I thought this question might come up, I asked my dad about that this week. Like, what was, what was going on with those neighbours? Because, you know, we moved out a long time ago and he told me the full story of, of after we left and mm. it's it was genuinely bad. I'm not going to say it now because it's really sad, but... Sad or bad? 
We can sad. deal with bad. We can't deal with sad. It's sad. So oh, let's okay. move on. But yeah, right. so I did genuinely live next to something really horrible. Okay. There you go. You win. See, he's got he's got this sixth sense, does Chris, for horrible, sad things. That's how he found his way to us. Uh, so Olsen's script finds its way to finds its way to Brian Grazer, who loves it, and the tone makes him think it's perfect for Joe Dante. Uh, Dante had already done Gremlins in Inner Space by this point. Reads it. He loves it because of its blend of the mundane and the weird. So then Grazer and Dante, who both love it, think Tom Hanks would be perfect for the lead. Hanks reads it. He loves it because he says, the stuff that goes on in real life in a regular neighbourhood will make your hair stand up on the back of your neck. Which makes it sound like Tom Hanks lived on a suburban street in 1989, and I don't think he did. <laughs> He'd already had big and splash yeah, by this point. There is no fine. way he was. I know we. Lo- I, I love Tom Hanks, and he's the perfect everyman. But that feels like he's playing up to that part a little too mm. much. Really, Tom? Do you know your neighbours? The one's three miles away in another gated <laughs> mansion. Uh, Dante says of Tom Hanks, like I just said, the reigning everyman is what he calls him, a guy that everybody can identify with, which I I think is true. And he has somehow maintained that throughout his career. Bloody love Tom Hanks. But the weird thing is Joe Dante talks about this on the the documentary on the Arrow Blu-ray, that that Hanks was adamant that they um, remove his son from the film. He didn't want to have a kid in the film because he didn't want to start playing dads was his thing. He said, once I play a dad once, that's it. Yeah. I'm in the dad zone and I still want to play these more interesting younger characters that don't have families. He only interacts with his son about twice and wants us to say bye. Yeah. So it, it feels not like much of a dad. Yeah, it feels like essentially wrote the kid out without <laughs> yeah. actually writing him it's out. It's not in the end oh. at all. I wonder what order that happened in. I hope Hanks uh, had established that very early on, as opposed to the kid going, these are your lines, kid. Uh, you're in a massive movie. Congratulations. And Hanks going, cut the kid. Cut the kid. Yeah. I've got, I actually, do you know when you said that, I was like, oh, so he got the kid cut out because I couldn't remember there was a kid in it. He's barely in it. Yeah. The only other thing to mention is uh, the street itself, which is a very famous set on the Universal Backlot, which has been used uh, largely and most recently as Wisteria Lane, Desperate Housewives, which I had to look up because I never watched Desperate Housewives. By all accounts, it was quite good. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. I, enjoyed, I enjoyed what I watched of it. Yeah. Um, beyond that... Um, uh, the uh, only other point I have about uh, the houses on the streets, which, as I've said, lovely houses, very nice houses, uh, the facades of the Rumsfeld and Peterson houses are also used in a movie that we've covered on this very pod on a very famous episode, uh, which tragically has uh, one of the worst results in the history of Clash Pod, uh, a result that I'm sure some members of the team would like to forget. Yes, that's right. The houses are used in Deep Impact, Deep impact. Mm. on our episode with Armageddon. Very strange result, that episode. Uh, do give it a listen and uh, get ready to get angry if you haven't heard it. Now, we love this movie, Victoria. Mm-hmm. Chris, uh, I know you don't want to go too early. Of course not. But you have an opinion on it. I'll leave it there. <laughs> that face. just Of <laughs> course not. Um, it was a bit of a Marmite movie on its release, and I didn't realise this. Um this is a review from the LA Times. It's a safe bet that Universal slated the Burbs for its citywide opening today, hoping that Tom Hanks would get nominated for Big. Certainly this grimly unfunny comedy needs all the help it can get. It's so bad, it doesn't deserve the boost a Hanks nomination may give it. Whatever persuaded Hanks, especially now that he's hit his stride as an actor and comedian of the first rank, to do this picture, for that matter, why was this turkey ever given the green light in the first place? <laughs> Joe, Joe Dante told Arrow, 
though, that the Burbs got the worst reviews since World War II. <laughs> but he said he actually quite liked the negative New York Times review because his favourite line in it was, uh, they said that it's as empty as a movie can be without creating a vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he said that, that's, that's quite writing. clever. Yeah. Yeah. It ended up the 34th biggest film in the US uh, that year, uh, just below The Karate Kid Part 3 and just above The Naked Gun. Right, okay. Mm. I think it's still a fairly good success. Yeah, no, it made money. Mm. It, it's, it's one of Joe Dante's more successful films. I think it's my favourite Tom Hanks film, not just to be contrary. Like, you know, if I, were to, if I had to choose quickly without thinking, without trying to impress anyone, I think it's what I would say. I know. I'm <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Oh, have you seen uh, Inferno, <laughs> the third <laughs> the Dan Brown adaptation? Some would say the best. <laughs> that may sway you. Okay. Uh, do you know what was at 37? Just to show you how far Bond has come since then, Licence to Kill. Wow. Mm. It was 37, so yeah. What a great time for Bond, uh, but that's a different episode. I know, Chris. Right, let's get into this film. You know I'm a fan of what they do with the logo oh my God. at the start of a I movie. I was going to ask you, then I deleted it out of my notes. I was like, who cares? But yeah, how do you feel about that? Come on, isn't it one of the best? It's, it's quite, it's cute, yeah. It's good. It's great. The Universal Globe stops spinning and then we go down further and further and end up on Mayfield Place. I, I'm, I, think, it's a, I think it's a really good start. So we're on the cul-de-sac of Mayfield Place. Immediately, we get introduced to the Klopek house. Uh, and Tom Hanks is Ray, already suspicious of his neighbours. He hears weird noises and bright lights emanating from their basement. For a kid aged about 10, this is perfect. Yes. Because it's not scary. That's the thing. It's just a haunted house. Like, it looks like a fairground attraction. It's not scary. I, I wasn't scared this time. <laughs> Were you a bit? <laughs> no, I'm so weirded out. I was, I was waiting. Georgina, tell me when the bright lights have stopped. I was waiting to get scared. And I was like, oh, what's wrong with me? Yeah. But it's good. It's, it's, uh, I'm already, I'm already excited. Uh, we meet a few of the neighbours already, uh, but not. The best one. Not yet. Right, yeah, okay. <laughs> so we do agree. I think we're agreeing. Oh, I think God. we're in agreement. Uh, yeah, we meet Bruce Stearns Rumsfield, who is a guy. Was he in the military or is he just obsessed by the military? He talks about being he, in South he's Asia. He's supposed to be a Vietnam vet. Right, okay. Yeah. I just wondered, he, see, he, there was an element of him that strikes me as it might just all be an act and he'd mm. never actually been to war. Uh, you know, one of those people that just talks the talk, but actually doesn't walk the walk. Uh, and then we meet Corey Feldman's Ricky as um, a wise-ass teenager. I mean... Same. It's, it's, I love Corey Feldman. I don't think he's great in this film. Neither do I. It's weird, isn't it? When I was younger, I was like, Corey Feldman's in it, so it's going to mm. be brilliant. I mm. loved him. And then watching it as a grown-up, you're like, a bit over that. But it's fair enough. It's just his thing that he did. Yeah, because Dana Olsen didn't write him like that. That character okay. was not like that. He said once they cast Corey Feldman just automatically he becomes what he describes as a California hipster. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, and, and clearly, I'm, I'm, well, I don't know if it's clear, but they basically wrote him out as the film went on. That's why he kind of disappears for the climax or he's across the road watching it rather than part of the action. It's just, uh, it's that strange thing when he, there's a, uh, during the climax, there's a little bit of to and fro between, excuse me, just drank a lot of Sam Pellegrino very quickly. Uh, not a sponsor. And um, he, uh, he's he got that to and fro, which is supposed to be a funny back and forth with Bruce Dern, who's on lookout at the Klopek house. Yeah. And it just, it falls flat. It's, yeah, it's annoying. It's like, yeah. I don't know whether it's him or he's badly written or what. But... Well, this was the last big movie that Corey Feldman did. Ah. He'd had this incredible run. And if you look, The Burbs is where it ends for him. But he was having a lot of issues when they made this film. You know, personal How old is issues. he when they made this, like roughly? Yeah. 19 to 18. Okay. He'd have a lot of personal issues, you know, that I think are well publicised. Um, 
substance abuse troubles. He said Carrie Fisher really tried to help him during that time. But like he was, he, they were saying that he was bringing porn stars on set to visit. He had, um, Joe Dante said Bubbles the monkey came and shat all over his trailer. <laughs> um, <laughs> so hey, that's funny. <laughs> so basically, yeah, I don't think he was in the best shape. And also there's a video. I'll, I'll try and post it on our Twitter. I think it's only on Reddit, but it's them getting ready to shoot a scene. Um, and uh, Dick Miller's in the scene with Corey Feldman. And Corey Feldman's just messing about before they say action. And Miller just turns around to him and says, shut the fuck up, kid. We're trying to do some acting here. <sighs> and it's you could cut the tension with a knife. So, yeah. so yeah, not a happy experience, I don't think, for him. No. I interviewed him uh, once, many, many, many moons ago. And I only tell you this, Victoria, because he was wearing uh, black leather shoes with white socks. Whoa, ho, ho. Was it 1987? No, it wasn't. So it's not acceptable. <laughs> but he was very good friends with Michael Jackson. And that was a very Michael oh, Jackson yeah. thing, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. He was the one person that could get away, I think, with no, that. No, no. My mum said, don't trust the man, you know? So mm. was it, she right? It's just weird for me because I, 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 I stand by me. Corey Feldman was the character that I latched onto watching mm. that movie. Yeah, so, he's great in that film. Yeah, he is. He's very good. So yeah. Anyway, um, we are introduced to Ray's plan for his week-long vacation of doing sweet FA beers and bugger all. Uh, then here we go. We meet <laughs> the best neighbour, Art. Yay! Played by, played by the late great Rick Dukeman, uh, who is fantastic yes. and gets the best introduction of any character, which is he's off screen. And uh, I think Carrie Fisher goes, Art's got a gun. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he's just brilliant. Why do you love him? I love the, I like he, sp he speaks quickly. So that's a kindred mm -hmm. soul to me. Um, everything he does is just unapologetic. You can tell that there's some improv um, and that he's just brilliant at that, obviously, being a stand-up, he would be. And just little touches, like he's just so in himself as a counterpoint to Tom Hanks's sort of uptightness. So the, my favourite bit in this particular section is he's eating all the food that they've got in the house and then just walks to the fridge and brings out a pineapple. And that's to his <laughs> like he thinks he's going to eat a full pineapple. Like that's, I know that's not maybe not his choice, but it just fits really well with the character. Mm. And most of the notes I had, I had to go back and do them again. It's just li lines of his mm. are so funny. Yeah. And then Carrie Fisher carries the dog food past him and he just reaches into it <laughs> and takes it out and puts it in his mouth. I mean, he's, he's brilliant. He gets that character so perfect because he walks right up to the line of being too much and too annoying. Yeah. I, and, and then never crosses it. Mm. <laughs> you know what I found? No, I found I, he, his character is obviously supposed to be annoying. Mm. And I found him quite annoying. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I, I love him, and he, he nails this the, the man child thing better than anyone else. Yeah, on, on and the, you would be help, block. you'd be powerless if he was your friend, and he was like, "We are going to break into the neighbor's house because they're Satanists." You just would do it, like you just couldn't stop him. And that's what I, that's I think that's what I see in him. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I get that he would be annoying to have around, but at the same time, you would end up doing things that you wouldn't normally yeah. do. I personally, Lots of fun. I'm the kind of person who'd be like, oh, do you know what? No, I'm just gonna put the TV on." And if someone goes, "No, no," no, I really think we should do this. And you're like, oh, do you know, okay. And you would end up with a better story having him around. Yeah. Yeah, big, big fan of art. So uh, Rumsfield uh, moans about Walt having the best lawn on the street. Walt is their neighbour who is about to disappear. He's got a dog that shits on Rumsfield's lawn. I will say that line about he's got the best lawn on the block I wish there was a bit more of that pettiness. Yeah. Because that gets sidelined very early on for the 
fascination with the Clopex. But that kind of competitiveness you get in a neighbourhood like this, I think a little more of that would have been great. It would make sense because Tom Hanks's speech at the end, which is, I don't think it's, there's two endings, but mm. I don't think this speech is in the alternate ending. But I can't remember actually. But where you say, you know, we're the lunatics, we're the one lighting fires and tipping garbage out onto the streets is us. And so if you'd seen a bit more of their competitive nature earlier on, that speech would come as a really good sort of adjunct to that way of dealing with I mean my street wasn't like that but you did know street like there were always like Barrett estates in Blackburn all these new estates went up all of a sudden hmm. and they were competitive lawn people yeah our street wasn't well that's because you've got literally an identikit home yeah so you've got to keep it really tidy mm. and really nice yeah I've never I've never had that it must be weird I've one of my friends like I once went out because the school I went to in Leeds Boston Spa Comprehensive oi 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 no one ever did that um <laughs> Just you. I was like, get him. Yeah, we were having the fights with whether it be high. They'd reel me out as the mascot. And then I'd run off home. So I wasn't involved in the violence. Not a fighter. Uh, But yeah, the the villagers all around there, they had that similar, very sort of like curtain twitching mentality. Yeah. It's very strange. Very strange. Um, So uh, a little bit of questionable xenophobia at this point, which doesn't sit uh, well that you didn't notice in 1989, 1990 when I watched it, um, when Rumsfeld refers to the Clopex as foreigners. Kind of gets away with it. He gets away with it because if he's a military man, you exactly. forgive it because you're like you've seen some stuff when you're overseas and it's maybe given you this distrust or mm. mistrust but it isn't comfortable when you've got Tom Hanks Tom Hanks talking about the Clopex earlier and he says is that a Slavic name and it's like you don't want your all-American hero to have that lens on that family and also when Rumsfeld calls them foreigners it's closely followed up by Huns yeah. they, they use Huns and it's just two in a row and you're like nah. but, with, but with Rumsfeld you know there's one scene where there's footage of, there's, it's all about his flag his stars and stripes mm. he's, he's filmed it's filmed from above with the flag so it's not the film saying this it's it's them commenting on this character this is this patriot who would talk like that Yeah, I, I, I agree and I, I think that's what Vicky's saying isn't it it's, it, he it is the character but I think once is enough. You know, you mm-hmm. get the idea. I don't mm-hmm. think you need to double down at that point. Um, tension builds around the Clopex, uh, fueled a lot by Corey Feldman mentioning the 1977 Michael Winner movie, <laughs> The Sentinel. Um, Have you ever seen it? I've seen part of it. It was on TV years ago, and I um, think I, I, I don't remember finishing it though. I would very much like to see it. Mm. It's, not, it's not that good. It's Michael, yeah, Michael Winner. Yeah, it's supposed to be bonkers. It sounds bonkers. It's about a house on a street that is built over the gateway to hell. Mm. Which, as a as a line, I'm like, must see. Yeah. But it's a very obscure film to reference in your film. Mm. But I think that's a Joe Dante thing. I think he's yeah. probably added that reference because there's a few few strange references as we go along that yeah. sort of really do feel like Dante going, I know my shit. <laughs> and he really does. Mm. We get my first wonderful, wonderful moment of the film is where Hans Klopek drives the litter from the garage to the end of the drive and puts it in the bin and then smashes <laughs> now that's it scary. with a stick. That's really scary. Like yeah. Tom Hanks says, you've never seen that before. But the way he's stabbing that bag of rubbish is is quite scary. Yeah, it scared me when I was 12. Yeah. I mean, last so. night it scared me a bit. But it's, it's Hanks's line. This might be my favourite line in the whole thing. And I think it's the repetition and Hanks's delivery where he goes, I've never seen that. I've never seen anyone drive their garbage to the curb, then bang the hell out of it with a stick. I've never seen that. <laughs> just, just great because it just—it's so mundane in its description of what we've just seen, and yet he pulls it off. 
I love it. All right. Uh, Art keeps winding Ray up, and we start to watch Ray transform from the sane character in this, the, the voice of reason, to a guy who becomes more and more caught up in this conspiracy about the Clopex, mm. um, which then creates a void, like who's the voice of reason, which Carrie Fisher then steps into and becomes the voice of reason. Well, he starts getting obsessed, doesn't he? And this the, the script was originally called Bay Window, and it was sold to Joe Dante as a rear window spoof. And so, but it changed titles because they were worried that people would think it was a film about San Francisco being oh, the Bay Area, yeah. which is whatever. But yeah, so he, it's very much he's turning into James Stewart in Rear Window here. Mm. Um, and then uh, another great moment, uh, Rumsfeld and Ray go through the garbage. They climb into the back of the garbage <laughs> lorry and go through the garbage. Um, I forget the actor's name, Joe Dante favourite from... Uh, uh, Robert Picardo and Dick Miller. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Dick Miller, yeah. Both of them. Uh, well, this is when I, you know, so I've, I watched it once before when I was 12 and these were all adults and watching it as a 12-year-old thought, oh, yeah, I guess adults sometimes act like that. And then watching it now, you realise, oh, no, hold on. This is a film where the adults are acting like children. Yeah. But mm. I was too young to realise that when I was a kid. Yeah. But yeah, they're, I mean, they're literally they're like, they're like the Goonies or something or the Monster Squad going off on some stupid adventure. This is what I wrote. This is this film is basically if you had adults playing the Goonies, but still using exactly the <laughs> yeah. same lines. And uh, I wonder if he wrote it as kids, like you know, mm. and, and and then turned them into adults. Because... But that's 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 the brilliant thing about it because it's 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 that Amblin movie. Mm-hmm. It is that Amblin suburbia. And like you know that from like being a kid and watching the Goonies or Monster Squad or ET, and it's mm. got all of those traits, but because they're adults, but they're still behaving like kids, it's just got this very, very like weird energy about it as a film uh, that I've not, I've not seen before, which I think is why it's so unique. Yeah, you're right because isn't it? It's a twelve certificate, but mm. I, I bet when I was watching it when I was eleven or twelve or whatever I was, because they're acting like the kids in the Goonies and all of that. But because they're grown-ups, then anything could happen. And like, I suppose it's true that in the Goonies and things like that, some pretty like out there stuff happens to say that it happens to kids. But maybe it was just that next level of like some real violence could happen, and that is quite thrilling when you're that young. But also, it sort of like, if you're now watching it as an adult, it's like you, it's got that Peter Pan thing of like you can be an adult and still be a kid Fuck around, yeah. yeah, and not sort of be constrained by bills and mortgages. And- dogs and everything. Anyway, we'll pick this up after the break and it'll be more cheerful. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So, uh, the conspiracy deepens. Uh, Ray and Art uh, read a book about demonology written by Julian Carswell, who is... The Mad Scientist in Night of the Demon. Oh! <laughs> Will someone please get me one of those? There's a book like that in a lot of films. It's just one book and it tells you everything you need to... It's even in like Hereditary, like, there's just one book. So will someone please get me that book for my birthday? Okay. Thank you. Night of the Demon, though, 1957's Night of the Demon holds a special place in my heart as uh, the, the movie that made me start watching black and white movies because I'd, mm. I'd never watched black and white movies as a kid. I was like, mm. Mm, no, old. And then <laughs> I watched Night of the Demon and I was like, oh, black and white movies can be terrifying yeah. and brilliant. They can be just as good as colour films. Have you seen it? No. It's, it's, yeah, right. it's so good. So we should find a way to do that, actually. Right then, uh, there's a great line here from Art talking to Ray. <laughs> I've got this. Go and you do it. Have you got who listens to their wife? <laughs> That's the one I've got. <laughs> it's not the one I've got, but do you yeah. like? Why do you like that line? It's just he just he just speaks so quickly. It just seems so natural. It's very funny. Like blink and you would miss it. And yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> it's the bit where he's talking to Ray about the clopex, uh, where Art is just sort of pointing to the side of his head and he, he's going, once they get in here, it's all over, pal. <laughs> Which is exactly what Art is doing. He's literally going, that's what I'm doing to yeah. you. Good point. And then we've got Ray watching The Exorcist, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Was there another film there that I couldn't work out what it was? Oh, uh, they're in the woods and someone stabs a woman. What is that? Well, that might be Friday the 13th, but I don't mm. think it is. It's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Ah. Which was I cut I didn't which was it. cut out uh, of the UK versions of this film because Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 was banned in England. Right. So they therefore couldn't put it in the bird, didn't they? <laughs> right. Well, they couldn't put a section of it because the ban extends... They took it out either on video or, or in theatrical. I'm not sure which one, but... Because I remember Texas and Massacre 2, they, they, they submitted it to the BBFC and the BBFC told them they had to cut 25 minutes out of it <laughs> to release it. And they were like, yeah, we just can't do that. <laughs> it's not even that bad as well, I've seen it. Um, we get uh, him watching The Exorcist in Texas Chainsaw Massacre leads us into this dream sequence. Mm. I feel this dream sequence is a little lacklustre. Yeah. If I'm honest, purely because if you've got a dream sequence, a fantasy sequence in a movie like this, it's a blank canvas. Like you can do anything. And with Joe Dante's imagination, you just expect something more. It feels a little bit tame. Well, it went on for five minutes originally. They cut loads of it. It's all on the Blu-ray. Okay. Kevin McCarthy, who's in a lot of Joe Dante films, he's the guy from the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, he shows up playing uh, Tom Hanks's boss. And this is where we find out that Tom Hanks has actually lost his job. Oh. Yeah, and he's been hiding it from his wife and he's part, part of his behaviour is because <laughs> of his guilt about that, uh, which Tom Hanks really wanted to be part of the film and that's how he's playing the character. Well, which but they makes cut more sense because it never really makes a whole lot of sense why he's so Zip. downbeat yeah. about everything. Because and... he's lost his job, but they cut it out of the film and I think it was a really important storyline. Yeah. 
Um, because. because then at the end he says, I'm going on vacation at the end. It's because he can, because he hasn't got a frigging job. And also, you can, if you want to add another layer of character to it, so Art is convincing him to do something and he's the, and Tom Hanks is the voice of reason and he doesn't want to do it. But if he's lost his job, he's a man seeking a purpose. And so both of these films are men seeking purpose mm-hmm. at a time of crisis or at a turning point in their lives. And that's, how, that's when you're at your most vulnerable, aren't you? Because you feel... Uh, he might feel useless or he might feel he can't provide and he needs to do something active. So, of course, someone like Art sort of like whispering in his ear mm. is going to propel him to do something he wouldn't ordinarily yeah. do. But that, yeah, you're right. That does, it, it, it always made less sense because he's got this other stable life that if he just waits a week, he could go back to. Yeah. And and, and, and at the end, they, another scene they cut is him, him literally saying to his wife, I've got something to tell you, honey. And she's like... Is it about you losing your job? <laughs> so she's known all along, but she's been playing along with him because she's supporting him. And it's just a really good, like, another layer to this film that I just don't know why they cut it out because it was only... I think they cut it out because they like how insular it is and they don't want to step outside of the real world. And the only people, that, apart from the pizza dude thing, which is an annoying joke, but the only people that invade, in quote marks, from the outside world are the police, which is necessary by the end. But this idea that you don't hear from or see anyone that doesn't live on that street is quite alluring I think yeah I think that was very intentional Joe Dante says he they felt kind of weird about having the whole thing set on the street and not mm. ever going anywhere outside the street and in the end he was like no this this actually works yeah but you're right about uh, having to do something having to be proactive and Tom Hanks Ray getting caught up in this as a way of not acknowledging his depression mm. about losing his and job and giving him some direction yeah. my flat is never cleaner and the mo- lawn is never mown shorter than when I'm depressed it's brilliant <laughs> my flat is spotless Right, Ray watches Ted Rogers on TV, uh, which is a kind of weird moment because he'd go on to play him. In, uh... Sure, but it's not Ted Rogers. Ted Rogers presented 3 2 1, the quiz show with not Dusty Ted Rogers. <laughs> I was going to look this up. I, I, couldn't, I, was, I would just, love to see the 3 2 1 movie. Just to explain, I was watching the football last night uh, because I'm trying to relate to Chris, and uh, I know th- these notes didn't get uh, fact checked. Who is it? <laughs> Shut up! It's 3 2 1. It's Mr. Rogers. <laughs> 3 2 1. Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Who he'd go on to play? Although I'd like, yeah, you're right. Tom Hanks playing Ted Rogers. In. <laughs> Dusty Bin in there, isn't there? Yeah. It, who would be Dusty Bin? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, uh, but there's a reason I mention a beautiful day in the neighbourhood, uh, which we'll come back to later. Uh, and then, in case this man-child thing had passed you by somehow, we get Rumsfeld and Art literally begging Carol mm-hmm. to let Ray come out to play, which is nice. I love that. Yeah, and again, this is why uh, Rick Duckerman is uh, is so good because he sort of he does that little childlike kick of his mm. foot, like kicking <laughs> nothing on the shoes, ground. Yeah. yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Now we get a couple of amazing moments from both Hanks and Fisher, which just uh, what do you, actually this is a good time to ask. What do you think of Carrie Fisher in this movie? I love her in this movie. Do you not think that she's like she's such a good comedy actress, and she gets more to do? As the film goes on, I don't know even even as the film goes on, she gets a couple of great moments, but she is kind of like handcuffed to this sort of less funny role of being the voice of reason. Yes, she is. She does a lot with a little kind of thing. Yeah, I think she's a bit wasted here. I I think I think she's kind of the nagging wife and. Um, try, you know, stopping our boys' fun, and I yeah. think I think she should be part of the fun, you know. And then she gets, you know, she does get to go into the house with them, but yeah, I think she's too good for what she's given to do. 
She is when you see this scene. So I'll do uh, Ray's scene first, which is when Art tells him he's put the note under the door and Hanks just loses his shit. And it's just, you realise just what a great physical comedian Hanks is, where he's like crushing the beer cans. (laughs) Perfect. But the other bit, which is where Fisher, Carrie Fisher is just uh, divine, is where they're at the Clopex house. Mm -hmm. They meet the Clopex (laughs) and they're passed round uh, snacks, which are... Sardines out of the tin on dry pretzels. Yeah. And they come to Carrie Fisher and, and she just sort of shakes her head. And they go around and they come to Ray and he looks at her and she just, she, just the way she nods at him and goes, like, you have to take one. You have to take one. The, the <laughs> sound <laughs> design of the fish flapping it's about. out of control. It's the wettest, the most liquidiest <laughs> tinned fish that has ever been. But when I was younger, even though I did eat sardines, I was like, yuck, that's disgusting. Well, it's Hanks, Hanks had just done good eating fish acting in Big when he has the caviar at the party <laughs> and in the space of a year he does some more <laughs> the look she gives him is brilliant and it just sums up their whole marriage mm. and uh, but then later then he starts sneezing and the way he's sneezing <laughs> that's so funny I don't know they, so they both get yeah, a good moment it's a great scene and that's I think it was that moment where I was like oh I'd have liked a bit more of that Carrie yeah. Fisher in this yeah um but uh, we're meeting the Clopex here. We've met Hans already. Uh, we now meet uh, Ruben, as the next one we meet, uh, played by Brother Theodore. Uh, so I looked up Brother Theodore because I was like, who is this guy? Wow, what a story uh, Brother Theodore has. Uh, at age 32, under Nazi rule, he was imprisoned in the Dachau concentration camp uh, until he signed over his family's fortune for one Reichmark. After being deported for chess hustling from Switzerland, he went to Austria, where Albert Einstein, a family friend and alleged lover of his mother, helped him escape to England, where he then went on to New York. Wow. Uh, At which point he starts performing dark, surreal monologues. Uh, One of his famous ones is about how he believes all people should live on all fours and uh, he gets like uh, quite a lot of fame he appears on like the tonight show with johnny carson goes on into the 70s mid 70s it all dries up and he retires only to be hauled back out of retirement by a club promoter in the 80s and then it all starts up again he's on letterman i watched loads of his letterman stuff like he was on letterman 16 times funny it's funny in like the way he's funny here in sort of yeah. like just off centre weird. That's what listening to Corey Feldman talk about working with him. He said he was he's playing himself essentially in the film. He was like that on set with that yeah. face and that mm. glare, and he would just sort of be grumpy around. And he was quite funny having him around, but he said it was odd. Yeah, yeah, I think I. Just- it's sort of weird because he's got such a, an iconic face. And I was like, who is this guy? And I'd not seen him. The mm. Burbs is his, uh, his last big screen role. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting, interesting story. Um, and obviously we get Henry Gibson uh, as Werner Klopek, uh, who for me will always be the leader of the Illinois Nazi party in Blues Brothers. Me too. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> or uh, the supermarket guy in Inner Space. Oh, well, we talked about him a lot in Inner Space. Yeah, And that's Rumsfeld's wife is the uh, checkout girl in the supermarket. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, yeah. Joe Dante, you know, he loves using the same people over yeah. and over again. She's she's great. The house, the Clopex house was designed by the same person who designed Mrs. Deagle's house in Gremlins. And there's actually a bit of similarity in how they look, yeah. the colours, the, the design that they use. Mm. Uh Anyway, Ray finds, um, while he's at the Clopex, Walter, the missing neighbour's wig, amongst loads of Walter's mail, which is hidden, and the door to the cellar. And now he's convinced. 
I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about because I to my mind, if I found that and obviously, you know, his paranoia is heightened at the moment because of uh, art. If I found that it does sort of legitimizes the the paranoia a bit too much. Like I wonder if art should have found it and then relayed the information to Tom Hanks and then Tom Hanks sort of goes, okay, that's enough for me. Because Tom Hanks finding it, he sort of switches from needing to be convinced at this point to being convinced through his own actions. Yes. I disagree. I th- Only because I think this film, at this point, there's no... Well, when they, maybe swap it around so you find the toupee, the dog finds the toupee in the garden, but you could explain it away. There was a spare, there was whatever. And then when Tom Hanks is sneaking around the house, then he finds a leg bone. Because then the point of the... The engine of the story at that point isn't, are they right or not? It's what will they find in the basement? And that right. was enough for me when I was younger. It's like, the question is all... Because then you have a little bit of reverse at the end, which is quite satisfying. Mm. But the question now as a viewer is what exactly is going on, not is there something going on. Mm. That felt like enough. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get you. I get you. Uh, So we're digging up the basement. Told you about the unfunny exchange between Corey Feldman and Bruce Dern. Uh, Ray hit something solid. (laughs) And I don't know if it was improvised or not, although there was a lot of improvisation on set, according to Joe Dante. Art goes, you hit a crypt. They've buried him in a crypt. (laughs) Well, it had to be improvisation because they shot it during a writer's strike. So they weren't allowed to write any new oh, dialogue. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And so that's why um, in the, we're getting to the climax. One of the policemen is uh, the film screenwriter. And one of the actors playing one of the policemen is, is the screenwriter. So they could cheekily have the screenwriter on set. Oh, and break and, the strike. Oh, well, yeah, they don't go on record as saying that, but yeah. Do I they think not? That was, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, uh, that's what was going on. So people were improvising and he was there just... Just yeah. to tidy it up yeah. a bit, yeah. <laughs> so it's not a crypt. It's some gas, a gas main, uh, and the house blows up. And then we get an image that really disturbed me as a kid. And I don't know why. I think it's because I'd never seen an actor uglified uh, before. Because of his eye. His eye. I found very disturbing as a kid. Okay. Because it looked permanent. It didn't look like it was ever going to go back to normal. So I got roundly mocked for being a bit freaked out by this film when I was a kid. And you've both now said it freaked you out when you were a kid. It didn't just, scare me. I was you helping You literally just out. said that there was a scene that scared you about five minutes ago. Did I? Yes. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. There's one bit. Which bit again? I can't remember now. <laughs> uh, so Ray tries to kill Art, uh, says his neighbours are lunatics. But then they were right. Do not know why I don't remember the ending to this movie. That's mad that you don't. Why not? It's so important. Yeah, I think I sort of... It might not be the right ending, but it's really important. Well... You don't remember them popping the boot of the car? No. Really? I really couldn't remember it. That's mad. I knew something happened in an ambulance with Henry Gibson. I knew that I I sort of had this vague sort of understanding of the fact that they were right in the end, but I couldn't remember what the evidence was and the image of the skulls and the bones and the boots. It's it's a shame because that monologue that Tom Hanks performs is so good about, you know, we're the problem, we're the crazies, Mm. and it's the emotional core of this film. And then... By having that reversal, it just completely contradicts yes. and undermines what yeah, you said. Yeah, what you say. Oh, you shouldn't trust your neighbours. And, and, and it, and it lets the audience off the hook because it's saying to the audience, "You were right." You, you, no, you're the ones. You're you are. We are you. Yeah. And then it lets us off the hook as well. So it's just. I, I think in my very, ch- I'd see that as an adult now, and it is a shame. But in my childlike way, I was like, "Cool, look at all well, those schools." Of course, because as a and as a kid, you want Tom Hanks to be right and be the winner, and like yeah. the idea mm. of it ending 
with the Clopex house, like him blowing up the Clopex and then being innocent, you'd be like, I, I would not have loved this, this film as a kid yeah. had that been the end. Uh, but nonetheless, like you say, they have a fight in the ambulance, uh, the Clopex car gets hit and they see the bones of their many many victims uh, you mentioned there's an alternate ending mm. did you watch it there's, I did yeah there's a lot of alternate endings oh, I only, and things I've, I've yeah seen uh, some of them weren't filmed but um, or they're different versions of them so yeah what did you guys see I saw uh, they're in the ambulance and rather than like riding out on the stretcher and then bashing into the car the art goes to apologise because Carrie Fisher makes him apologise and he opens the ambulance door and catches everyone. Henry Gibson has this weird moment where he has to say, oh, sometimes I just get carried away Strange. and then he's arrested. Mm. But then he has that big... He has the monologue. He has the monologue yes. where he goes, he goes, which... Do you want me to say it? Yes. He says, I felt awkward about having to kill you. I so enjoyed our little visit last night. But Mr. Peterson, you're not quite right about the suburbs. Here, all you have to do... Um, it's to step out of line and paint your house the wrong shade of pink, buy the wrong kind of car, make one or two human sacrifices. <laughs> then when you walk down the street, everybody says, oh, there goes the weirdo. Which is great, but doesn't work again because he says human sacrifices. You kind of want that speech to go with the Tom Hanks was wrong and the Clopex are innocent. Yeah, yeah. Because that then fits with this idea that it is the suburbanites who are the weirdos yeah. and, you know, you should like not be awful to people from like foreigners who come to your neighbourhood uh, or what have you. And, and there was Bruce another Sturm there was another ending where all the Clopex are on the ambulance. Tom Hanks realises it's them, and we never get an explanation of what they're up to. But the ambulance drives away, leaving us to believe that they're going to kill Tom Hanks. So the ending is him just getting driven away on the ambulance. One. Don't want that one. No, <laughs> don't want that one. Is that the? Is that it? Just the three? Uh, I think so. Yeah. There's uh, there, there was a military ending with Rumsfeld doing something military, but, I mean, that sounds awful. Uh, the problem with the ending that you and I watched, uh, Victoria, on YouTube is, for some reason, because it sort of has the bit where Henry Gibson gives his speech, but then they just lop off Art's wife coming home and he go, and mm. him going, mm. which is his arc. Like, you suddenly go, oh, he's been behaving like this because he's been left on his own, like yeah. a naughty boy who gets to just have the run of the street because his, his other half's away or his mum's away. Yeah. Oh, and also with the when the boot opens, they shot a version of that where there were cheerleaders in the car and they shot a version of it where it was the garbage men in the car. <laughs> and as the screenwriter says, watching it over the commentary, he says, eventually we reshot it with skulls. He wants skulls for some reason. I don't know why. So... <laughs> right strike for you, isn't it? <laughs> The garbage no men would have been good. Yeah. Cheerleaders wouldn't, but the garbage no, men would have been good, which also worked with the fact that the rubbish had never been picked up for the entire of the movie, which is one of my favourite things, the fact that for the rest of the movie, after they go through the garbage truck, oh, they never come back. that rubbish stays on the street. <laughs> yeah. Like You see them walking past it time and time again. That would have worked. I'd have, I'd have voted bin men if I'd been given a vote in that situation. Uh, and the best thing on that alternate ending is it ends with the theme tune to Ted Rogers <laughs> singing... <laughs> <laughs> Singing Three, two, one. Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, which I just think really fits. Really works, doesn't it? Yeah, it's lovely. Any more for any more? No. Um, just one bit of trivia. Uh, Darla, the dog who plays Queenie, is the dog from Silence of the Lambs. <gasps> really? Yeah. Wow, I would be so starstruck. And she precious. was also in Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Batman Returns. So wow! She, Darla had one hell of a career. <laughs> wow. All the big movies. Oh my god! And we've got a we've got someone who's reached their tenth Clash film today. Oh, Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Yay! Goldsmith. Yay for me! Chinatown, Alien, Gremlins, Inner Space, Total Recall, Gremlins Two, Basic Instinct, Congo, LA Confidential, and The Burbs. Uh, he's done one other film, which we'll never be doing, and that is Outland. 
<laughs> Back to this again. <laughs> this is his third week in a row. Feels, feels like we've already done it. Yeah. He's got a lot of mentions. More of a build-up than any of the movie. Yeah, we're doing Outland soon. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, let's do the bits. Uh, we'll start with you. Chris, best scene. Hank's eating sardine on pretzel. <laughs> Victoria. I want to do that one and the look that Carrie Fisher gives, but what I will choose is Tom Hanks sliding down the steps after the house blows up in that weird, he's like stiff back. Do you remember? Yeah. And he's blown up behind him and his eyes are all swollen shut and he just goes like bang, bang, bang down the steps. And it's so odd and, and weird. I'm like, that's why I like it. You're wrong. It's Hanks eating sardines <laughs> at the Clovex. <laughs> okay, uh, Victoria. I, don't, I think I know the answer to this, MVW. So it's either Bruce Dern's T shirt you know the blue one that he's wearing just before which is such a lovely shirt but no obviously it's art uh just funny fucking hilarious and if this was an ad lib i then that's amazing if it was written pre whatever but the final bit to camera that to a camera person and a person acting as a camera person where he's saying the message to psychos fanatics murderous nutcases all over the world <laughs> is do not mess with the suburbanites that is so funny and just perfectly done. And he's he made me laugh like out loud again, mm-hmm. even though I've seen it probably six or seven times. Excuse me. So him. MVW, Chris. So I am going to go for the actors who play the Clopex. All three of them. Okay. Because I think they are really beautifully cast. I think it's uh, their roles are underwritten and I think they're quite poor, poorly served by that script. But I think all three of them do a lot with a little and they did creep me out as mm. we've established. Mm. Yeah, you're right. It, it would have been nice to have a bit more mm. about them. I'm going for art because brilliant. <laughs> Your answer's wrong, Chris. It's art. Art is the answer. <laughs> and finally, uh, art is art is always the answer. Beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I feel we should just. And that's it for this Yay! week. <laughs> that's it for the whole thing. Tilly's final thoughts. <laughs> Uh, so what would you change, uh, Chris? Well, easy change, firstly. Um, you can get rid of the kid and actually Corey Feldman's character. I think they can both go. No, I want Corey Feldman's character, just a better character. Did you, did you find out what he was actually written like or did they just say he wasn't written like that? No, that's, all, right. that's, all, that's all I've got. Um, I just wish... So I feel like the ending is a bit muddled and confused and I kind of wish it was, it was a bit more memorable and interesting, this finale, because it hints at so much more. And it's been criticised, this film, for being derivative of a Twilight Zone episode called Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, which then which was from the 60s. And they then remade that episode in the 2000s, where it seemed to have been influenced by Arlington Road, funnily enough. But that was all about fear and paranoia on a, on a street as you see the humans turn on each other on this sort of suburban enclave. And it's aliens kind of have something to do with it in the 60s version. And in the 2000s versions, it was terrorists. Mm. And I just feel like I wish, I wish they'd explored something a bit more interesting because I find the ending, I think the ending is the reason I've not, loved this film growing up mm. okay. I just find it frustrating and as I say I think it contradicts itself it does get Victoria um, we've sort of said this already but if there was somehow a plausible explanation for the skulls in the cars mm. so the, the, the matter then for the police becomes who do you believe and who they believe is the upstanding all Americans and not the Europeans and they might be right to believe them but maybe not and then you leave the movie feeling a little bit unsure and maybe what's played out in front of you is just like xenophobia and stereotyping. So keep some ambiguity, just the tiniest, tiniest thing. Like one, the doctor says, those schools are there for this reason, rather than fessing up and being like, oh, well, you know, you, you got us kind of thing. Um, but that's a very grown up change. Well, like, I, yeah, but it, I was going to say that. We, we, it's all very well saying that, but would you? Would we have loved this movie so much had that ambiguity been there? Well, the original, the original script that he wrote was supposed to be low budget until Tom Hanks got involved and it, nothing was explained. It was all ambiguous. And then once Hanks was on board yet again, they said, no, we've got to have... 
Mm. Uh, you know, we've got to have everything explained and we've got to have him survive and, and this and that. So that's that's initially what he was going for. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I've written the end, but I don't know what I would change because, again, it's, it is it is the movie that I loved. And Except you, forgot the, you keep forgetting the ending. Yeah, that's why it's always a surprise. That's why I love it so much. <laughs> I'm like, no, the Clopex were bad. This, this ending is so unmemorable. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to say, uh, I think the dream sequence could have been better, which is what I said earlier. Uh, right then. We are done with the burbs. Uh, so, uh, very quickly, uh, no, I'll do the clue uh, for next week after the quiz. Won't you be my neighbour quiz? No. You'd love it. He doesn't know where he fucking lives. How can you be his neighbour? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe Where that. would you move to? Yeah, that's true. Mm. If you haven't heard the story, Chris forgot where he lived once. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It happens. We've done, we've done it on the show. Fine. What's the name of the neighbour who does terrible things to toys in Toy Story? Oh, Spike? No. Oh. It's really close, though. Yeah, Stan. Spud. It, it is an Eve. S. It is an S. Stan. No. <laughs> You're not, gonna, you're not gonna get it. It's Sid. Oh, oh fuck! Could have got that. Who played the Nazi next door in Stephen King adaptation *Apt Pupil*? Ian McKellen. Ian uh. McKellen. Good film. Uh, what's the name of Fred and Wilma's neighbours? Betty and Barney. Ugh. Correct. Rubble. Barney <laughs> and Betty. Uh Rubble, indeed. <laughs> uh, who, played by, played by uh, uh, our old friend uh, Mark Addy in the live action version. <laughs> I'm all in, Betty. I'm all in. You have to say it's sad. That's what makes it worse. I'm I can't. All in. I'm all in. <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> who lives in the apartment opposite Jerry Seinfeld? Uh, Kramer. Correct. Oh. Nice one, Vicky. Uh, who was the sexed up neighbour in Birds of a Feather? Oh, Ma- Doreen. Yeah, played Do- by Leslie Dorian. Thingy. <laughs> Leslie Joseph. Uh, it's two all. It's two all with one question left. Oh, god. oh, god! <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to know it, so it's going to be who does it fastest. Mm-hmm. What is the name of the Simpsons evangelical Christian? Ned neighbor? Flanders. Yeah, yes! Vicky wins. Yes! Vicky yes! wins. <laughs> well played, Vixter. <laughs> Oh my god, I needed that so much. I'm sorry. I know it's pathetic. But I just can't get hammered all the time. I can't. You don't you do get hammered all the time. Yeah, we're about to we're about to do that in an hour. I just can't accept that you know more things than me. I can't bear it. Well, you won with a cartoon neighbour from The Simpsons, so you know more than me. I'm so embarrassed. Not competitive much. Uh, right then, so on to next week. I'm Seething. Uh, <laughs> on to next week. Uh, it's my choices uh, next week. So uh, my clue for next week's choices is till death don't us part. That's my clue for next week. And it's uh, it's not a tagline to either movie. So <laughs> original work on the show right there. Original work. Till death don't us part. Till death us don't part. Till death us don't part. <laughs> Which is actually a tagline to a movie. <laughs> till till death do us part. No, till death do us part. Till death don't us part. Okay, yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you get the gist, guys. Yeah. Apologies. It feels like it matters now. <laughs> right, uh, that's us done. Uh, we are going to be back on Thursday talking about Arlington Road. In the meantime, if you haven't subscribed, please do. Please give us a rating and a review and follow us at ClassPod on Twitter and Instagram. Back Thursday. Bye-bye. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 